There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired Keep evolving. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. And it is an emotional treat to be here today. We have with us Daniel Goldman. Daniel, how are you there, sir? Amrit, hi. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I feel great. I should say, I feel great. (laughs) It is so awesome to have you here. Honestly, I can't even put it in words. For those tuning into Daniel for the first time, he wrote the book on emotional intelligence, literally, right? Uh, There's also another amazing book that is, well, in my circles, a cult favorite called Altered Traits. Um, And there's also the book Focus. So there's three really incredible books. Emotional Intelligence spent a year and a half on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, It is an incredible read. It's written in 40 different languages now. It's made its way around the world. It is such a gift and uh, it is just such a treat to have you here. You've dedicated yourself to this path for 30 to 40 years, Daniel. It is such a treat to be gleaning some of your wisdom today. Thank you so much for doing this. Happy to be here. Um, I could start in so many different places, but the first place I'd like to sort of start is emotional intelligence. What is it? The way I look at it, there are four parts. There's Mm. self-awareness. There's using that awareness to manage yourself well. 
and then empathy, tuning into other people, and then putting that all together to have effective relationships. Hmm. When we start talking about those four different parts, it starts with self-awareness. And I know your whole book, Altered Traits, was dedicated to like tapping into the states that meditation and mindfulness and all this could tap into. Um, does it, it like how important is self-awareness on the path of being aware of like, you know, can you explain a little bit about why self-awareness sure. is so important for emotional intelligence? Sure. I think uh, self-awareness is fundamental. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what you're thinking or what you're feeling or how it's impacting what you're doing, uh, then you can't manage yourself. Mm-hmm. You're at a loss. You need to tune into yourself in order to see, you know, am I staying focused on my goals or am I being distracted uh, am I able to manage my uh, upsetting feelings and marshal more positive ones, which means I'm going to be in a better state to think clearly, to do what I need to do well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so self-awareness also, interestingly, relates to empathy. It turns out if you're tuned out of some range of your own feeling, you won't pick that up in another person. So like calibration. Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Amber. Yeah. I said it's like a calibration. Sorry, I, that's, all that, that's all I was saying. It's yeah, like if you're yeah, exactly. to yourself, you can't calibrate to others. Yeah. And self you know, uh, mindfulness is kind of applied self-awareness. It's systematic training in uh, tuning into your thoughts and your feelings in a way where you shift your relationship to them. Instead mm-hmm. of being sucked into them or carried away by them, you can watch them come and go. It's a very different internal state, but that's a kind of a meditation. And what we found in the book Altered Traits, I, which I wrote with a neuroscientist, Richie Davidson, who's at the University of Wisconsin, uh, we looked at the best studies. We found that the more you do it, the better the effects, but that there are good effects right from the get-go. Uh, of um, kind of, It's systematic mind training is the way we think about it. Because in, in modern society, we're very good at managing the external world. We're not so talented at managing the internal world. And for that, we look to some, you know, really ancient Asian methodologies, which mm-hmm. come in the form of meditation usually. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that they're very effective ways to learn to handle our inner states better. I love that. And I, yeah, I love, sorry, I interrupted before. I love the, um, yeah, the, 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 the clarity with which you're describing how important it is for us to be self-aware because from that point we are really calibrated. Um, and from there potentially we can, you know, start to understand others better, um, understand uh, how to manage our emotions better, potentially what drives us as well. Um, when it comes to managing emotions um, in the book, I found some really interesting nuggets, um, <laughs> like little things like fallacies, <laughs> like the ventilation fallacy. I always thought talking about your problems um, potentially made you help move, move through them faster. Um, but you describe it as potentially being a fallacy because you're just spending time building up the emotion. Can you describe like different ways to manage our emotions and potentially some of the, some of the places where we might get hung up on the thinking, like, yeah, some of the things that are counterintuitive. (laughs) Well, for example, the, the ventilation fallacy, it particularly uh, pertains say to anger. Yeah. Like a lot of people feel, well, I've got to let it out. I've got to express all of my angry feelings. It turns out the more you do that, actually what you're doing is rehearsing anger. 
becoming a very good practitioner of anger. But that doesn't necessarily help you in life. It's better, I think, if you can, uh, what, what they call technically decenter, not let yourself be carried away by the anger, but see the anger coming and going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in many therapies, this is what happens. So, uh, you know, I, I think I'm not in favor of suppressing emotion, but I am in favor of working with it in terms of changing your relationship to it. Mm-hmm. So, for example, my wife is uh, trained in cognitive therapy. And in that approach, they're very good at helping people manage anger because they, uh, in cognitive therapy, when you're angry, you don't believe your thoughts. This is, mm. this is crucial to understand. You don't have to believe every thought, mm. particularly the ones that, that uh, carry you away in a direction you don't really want to go that can be counterproductive. Anger is a really seductive emotion. Uh, it feels like we're right, you know, it's self righteous. But if you can step back from it and see your anger, see, even feel it build up, then you have a choice point. And the choice point lets you decide, am I going to go with the anger or I'm going to step back from the anger, work with it? What's, what's making me angry? Uh, is, are my assumptions that are leading to the anger correct? Maybe I'm wrong about this person. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have other motives and I'm attributing to them. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can question your own thinking that's led you to the negative state. That's a very, very different posture. And that uh, is is a very useful application of self-awareness. I love it. And I love how you ended that because the key thing is, at least as I was hearing you share that, um, and I totally relate about how seductive um, anger can be. I've taken action out of anger before and realized I'm totally taking two steps forward to realize, wake up tomorrow. I've taken five steps backwards. <laughs> exactly. And then you realize that the next day after the anger is back. I've got more things to put together now yeah. than I had initially. Well, I'm right if I could. This is the definition of an, uh, an amygdala hijack. When you get angry or anxious, it's your amygdala, which is a part of the emotional brain that's flaring up. And the signs of the hijack are three. Uh, You do something very quick. You feel something quickly, like I'm flooded with anger. You do something impulsively. And the third sign is after the dust settles, when it's all over, you really regret what you said Mm. or did, which is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. 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 This is the problem with strong negative emotions is if we act from the emotion, we'll probably regret what we did later. Mm. Mm. Yeah. If you were describing how to manage our emotions, it, it sounded poetically so much like a mindfulness meditation to watch things come up, not associate ourselves with them and be able to sort of, you know, not, um, not bite the hook, you know, not to associate myself with my thoughts is a big part of, you know, when I find myself in mindfulness training, um, like I'm sitting there and my thoughts are coming through and it's like, I'm not my thoughts. These are just thoughts. I'm just happy to have thoughts. I'm an observer. And it seems like going from self-awareness to managing emotions, it's almost like, it's it's not quite the external application of it, but it's almost where the internal interfaces with the external um, application of managing emotions because it's like, oh, these emotions are coming up and I'm also not necessarily my emotions and the thoughts that are coming with these and I don't necessarily have to attach myself with them and watching them as a wave. Is that effectively correct or am I oversimplifying it? No, there, there are three points of leverage, 
with strong negative emotions. The first is uh, how often you're triggered into the emotional state. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Uh, it turns out that people who are, say, mindfulness practice, they've done it, the less often they're triggered. Mm. The second question is, how deeply am I going to be immersed in that emotion? Some people uh, less so, some people more so. Uh, practitioners tend to be less and less so. Mm. Uh, so you don't feel it as strongly if you do get triggered. And the third thing, this is key, how quickly do I recover? Mm. We call it resilience. Uh, resilience is defined technically as the time it takes you from the peak of upset to getting back to calm. Mm -hmm. The more you, the longer you practice, you know, like, oh, I've been a practitioner three years. I do it every day for 20 minutes or something. Uh, it turns out that we find the longer people have been practitioners, uh, the more quickly they recover. And I think that is really the key because you cannot determine, you can't, we don't decide what we're going to feel and when we're feeling it or how strongly we'll feel. Our emotions just come to us unbidden mm. from a part of the brain that we can't control. The, the point where we have something we can do is once we feel it, do we go with the emotion and keep feeding it? Like if depression is another disabling emotion. Mm -hmm. Do we start thinking, well, you know, I, I'm just no good. Life's not worth living. And these are called depressogenic thoughts. In other words, they, they feed the, the depression and they're thoughts that produce, you know, that feed anger. Mm -hmm. Do we go that way or can we drop it? Can we see, oh, well, anger's here, but I don't have to live with it. I can drop it. I can get over it. That lets people recover. And the more mindful you are, the easier it becomes to see your, those feeling states, particularly negative feeling states, just as feelings that come and go. Hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. The, um, one of the things that, sorry, this is sort of tangential now, but one of the things uh, from your book on focus was this conversation around, and you were talking about resilience and that bounce back factor, as I, as, as I would call it. And uh, yeah, I remember reading about performance versus the stress levels that we experience and how there's like the, the U-shaped curve um, in terms of, you know, 
there's a level of performance where, you know, a certain amount of stress is healthy, but then a certain amount of stress um, gets to, you know, what you, uh, yeah, what I tuned into some of your work and it was called the frazzled state. <laughs> and then when you said that, right. I was like, oh no, I've spent time in frazzle land. <laughs> right. Well, you know, uh, I just released something called the Personal Sustainability Index. Mm-hmm. It's a way of assessing how, what are the things that cause stress in my life? Mm-hmm. And what are the things that help me recover? Mm-hmm. That give me a sense of renewal because we need to balance these. You can't determine how stressful your life is going to be. Yeah. Life throws things at us. You don't know what's going to come. The question is, you have ways to recover. So meditation is a way, but so is playing with a, a child mm. or with a pet or going for a long walk in nature. All those things give us a sense of renewal. Mm. So the question is, how do you balance it? So pers- the personal sustainability index is at keystepmedia.com. Yep. Uh, everybody can take it. It's just a way of tuning into what are the stressors, the sources of stress in my life. Uh, and then getting a handle on what can I do to balance that out. Mm, I love that. I'll add that to the links in the show notes. Daniel, is like, you know, what I've started to personally be aware of in my life, similar to what you're sharing, is like, you know, what are the stresses in our life? Is like trying to keep some space, some bandwidth open um, at the moment, be like I, I've, I'm coaching entrepreneurs. Um, I find that I, I want to almost get uh, T-shirts printed like there is not enough time in the day or things do not happen fast enough in my world, you know, and I'm just like, yes. But then also I realize in order to attract, and maybe this is a bit too woo-woo, but in order to attract opportunity, I've kind of got to leave a little bit of bandwidth open for the opportunity to come and land and for me to be available for the opportunity. If I'm operating at 110%, I've kind of clouded my whole system and I'm not actually open to anything that's coming through. And I've noticed that initially that feels a lot of stress. Like initially for a short time, it feels stressful to try and cull myself back to 80% operation mode. But then I noticed that that 20% gives me bandwidth to be fresh thinking, to be available, to be open. Um, mm. And potentially, you know, when life throws its curveballs, <laughs> to sort of go, okay, that can occupy that 20% and then I can come back. Now, I use that as a as an opportunity for, um, for resilience. Is that kind of where we're going with the personal sustainability index or any advice in terms of that thinking for me? Um, yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's interesting. So you leave 20% open for serendipity. We call it opportunity. It's whatever's <laughs> going to come along. Yeah. I uh, want to be there. I endeavor to. Uh, I don't I don't always succeed. <laughs> but I endeavor to. You no. Know, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think of it in terms of time. 80%, 20% is how you've scheduled it. Mm. But rather in terms of how it impacts you. So that 80%, some of that could be renewal. For example, if you're talking with or spending time with someone who is nourishing for you, mm-hmm. then that's a renewal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you feel drained in all of that 80%, then it's stress. Mm-hmm. And you talked about that upside down U curve, mm-hmm. which let me go into that in a little bit. Um, on Imagine on the, the, the curve uh, on the vertical is for performance. So mm-hmm. the top of the U is top performance. The bottom of the U on either side is the worst performance. 
And uh, along the horizontal axis, let's say, is amygdala arousal, what's happening in your brain, particularly stress hormones, mm-hmm. cortisol, adrenaline. In the morning, your stress hormones, cortisol, naturally uh, rise. They're not stress hormones. They're good hormones. They get you going. They get mm-hmm. you motivated for the day. You're able to, to meet whatever the day brings. If you get into that optimal state, then you're going to be the best you can. Hmm. And uh, if you get, however, and this is the rub, if you get more stress than you can handle, hmm. that 110%, not the 80%, for example, then uh, your amygdala goes into overdrive mm-hmm. and your performance plummets again. And the, the lowest point is called frazzle. Uh, there was actually a journal article in the journal Science, I think, the neurobiology of frazzle, which mm-hmm. essentially is constant stress arousal. Mm-hmm. Technically, this is called sympathetic nervous system arousal. It means that your body is mobilized to meet that emergency demand, but the body was designed to recover. That's why we, I look at your recovery, your renewals in this. And if you never have a chance to recover, mm. you get it state of burnout. And this is happening, unfortunately, with many people in healthcare today, uh, because of COVID, because mm-hmm. of having to go flat out, uh, exposing themselves, their families to the risk. It's highly stressful. But it happens to business people, it happens to entrepreneurs. You know, it classically in a startup, you've got to work like 24 seven. Mm-hmm. So where are you going to find renewal? I think in your coaching of entrepreneurs, it might be quite um, helpful if you help them look at the sources of renewal in their lives mm-hmm. so that they balance it and they don't burn out mm-hmm. uh, because in, in that early stage of a business, it's really easy to do that. Mm-hmm. You want to try to get back to your best. And what's going to help you get there uh, is something like having a re- regular renewal activity like meditation. Interesting with meditation, uh, you strengthen your focus mm-hmm. and you strengthen the neural systems that help you calm down. Mm-hmm. It's a t- So it helps you get back to that optimal state. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, one of the ways to enter the optimal state, sometimes called flow, is through 100% concentration, mm-hmm. being fully present to the person that you're with or the thing that you're doing mm-hmm. and not being distracted. This is why your phone is your worst enemy, not your best friend. Because uh, if you find yourself scrolling through your phone, it means you're just letting your distracted mind take over Mm. and not being focused on the thing at hand. Mm. You're cultivating a distracted self rather than cultivating a focused self. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I love it. And it's it's almost when when I hear you speak, I can hear it's like almost the antidote. For our time, like, you know, it's calmness is this thing that is, you know, like I've tuned into some of the people on the, on the podcast, Stephen Kotler, I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work on, on the Flow Research sure. Collective, but he talks about how we live in 20% baseline anxiety <laughs> just because of it's like, that's what 2021 is impregnated with, the frequency of it, um, just because of the way the world is operating, you know, all the, the mass hysteria that comes through media and stuff like that as well. Um, but then that calm that can sort of, silence all of that for yourself as well and you know especially in an age where you know um i think i was tuning into one of your talks and one of the quotes you said was like a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention and we're living in an age of distraction where in fact our attention is under siege um 
yeah, you know, I, it really drives home the 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 impetus for yeah how important it is to to focus in this time. You know, there is so much competing for our attention. I, I think um, you may also have heard me say that we get about five times more information today than we did 20 or so years ago. Mm. In other words, we're flooded with information, which means there are constant demands for our attention. Mm. And attention is a fixed bandwidth. Yeah. So the more you give attention to this, the less attention you have for that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I find it remarkable that, you know, there's this, there's this optimal level for our performance and our attention when, you know, it almost, and this, I think this is where I was going with the 110% slash 80% thing is like, if we're ending up in frazzle when there's so much power, like all this marketing is like, as, especially as an entrepreneur, it's like, do I need to do this? Do I need to make, it's so mm-hmm. easy to tip into the other end when you're trying yeah. to do so much of, um, of the work that you love that it's, you know, almost forcing yourself to sort of operate a kind of, you know, what you believe to be 80% to keep some bandwidth open so that you don't, slip into frazzled land to sort of protect yourself against something like burnout. Um, I, I like your phrase work that you love. Let me talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a friend of mine, um, Howard Gardner, who's at Harvard university has done some research with actually with the man who discovered flow, optimal performance. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, a guy at Stanford, William Damon, they were looking at what they call good work. Mm-hmm. And, the elements of good work are really fascinating. One is that you identify what you are really good at. Mm-hmm. What's your, what are your talents? The second is what you love doing. Those are not always the same. Uh-huh. And the third is what has most meaning for you. And if you can align those three things, what I'm good at, what I love doing, and what has meaning, then you have what they call good work. Mm. And, and people who have good work don't burn out because they love what they're doing. So uh, the question is, how much of my day is spent in good work? Mm. How, how could I increase that? Mm-hmm. Uh, what could I do over the next five years to have more only good work or mostly good work mm-hmm. in what I these are very important questions to ask ourselves. I really think so too. And I think that is, thank you so much for sharing that. I love that. What you're good at, what you love and what has meaning for you, because that's at the heart of the inspired evolution. It's trying to help others basically, or help myself and help others um, come home to an essence of, you know, back to what you were saying in terms of, you know, work that um, uh, I, I, I saw it as nourishment. Um, you were using the word renewal, but you know mm. things that renew you. Exactly. And if you could, if you could tune into work that actually gives you a sense of like this is work for me right now. Believe it or not, <laughs> touch wood. And I'm doing it. So yeah. that makes a difference. Yeah. So the question is: Are you doing something you love? Absolutely. Are you doing something that you feel you have to do in order someday to get to what you love? Mm. Mm. It's the, that second one is much harder. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a bit insidious though, isn't it? Cause society's kind of wired us a certain way to sort of, uh, 
or we've been trained or groomed a little bit to sort of sacrifice the moment for what's potentially available to us in the future for a future that may never come though, right? Yeah, I was talking to a woman named Lori Santos. She's a professor at Yale University. Mm -hmm. She taught the most popular course ever at Yale, which was about happiness. Ah. And what she said was, I think that course is popular because in order to get into Yale, you had to do things you didn't love mm -hmm. and not do things you loved. And students, and my students are, are essentially love starved in that way. Yeah. Because they're forcing themselves to do, you know, take that bio course so you can get, you know, be a pre med and get into medical school, mm -hmm. but you don't really love it or that chemistry, whatever it is. And then it, it becomes a treadmill through life of, okay, now I'm doing this so I can get to that. But she, she made another point, which is, we're often wrong about what we think will make us happy. Mm. We do things that we think will make us happy, but actually once we get them, they won't necessarily make us happy. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I think oftentimes we make decisions um, exactly how you described, thinking that things are going to give us an outcome that, you know, we feel is going to be good for us. And sometimes they can even be emotionally driven. Um, and then we get to said outcome and it's like, oh, that wasn't quite it. Right. Well, I, 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 there's something you said that I want to circle back to because I think there are societal factors at work. Please. We live in a society that rewards competitiveness. Mm. How well, you know, you, you come home from school, your parents say, how well did you do on the test? Mm. Instead of uh, who was kind to you today or who were you kind to today? That's a completely different way of mm. thinking about school day or your day generally. But it turns out that kindness itself is a reward. Mm. That when people are compassionate, the, uh, the actually the reward circuitry of the brain lights up. So doing something kind to someone else makes you feel good. Mm. Winning, winning the game may not give you a lasting satisfaction, whatever mm. the game may be. Mm -hmm. So. It, it's, I think that we're that our culture, our society may wire us in a way where we are propelled by motivations that aren't actually going to lead to lasting satisfaction. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's really a profound point. And I want to almost use that as a segue to come back to we were talking step by step through the emotional intelligence book. And I think the third part of it, the part we left off was about managing emotions. And the part we can come back to now is self-motivation. Um, how, how do we start, how do we go into the area of self-motivation? How do we find things that motivate ourselves potentially versus what is, you know, motivated by the external world? How do we, you know, and, and I'm sure that builds uh, upon I the self-awareness and the managing emotions, but. Yeah. So, Emmett, I'm not sure there's a clear distinction between motives that are uh, taught to us and motives that are part of us. Mm. I think that our motivational system is to some extent uh, driven or shaped by our life experience. Wow. And, uh, you, you know, there are three basic motives. Uh, my professor, David McClellan, used to say one is the drive for power or to influence people. Mm -hmm. Second is the drive to achieve, mm -hmm. to achieve our goals. 
and many entrepreneurs are driven by achievement motivation. In fact, if you don't have enough achievement motivation, you probably will not be very successful as an entrepreneur mm. because you need to think in terms of your goal, strategies toward the goal and so on. But the third is entirely different. It's the need for affiliation, for connection, for other people. And uh, different people have a different hierarchy of those motives. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not, I, I don't judge it, really. I don't say one is better than the other. But I think it's good to know what are, what's my motivational configuration? What really drives me? What do I really want? And then is, is that leading me toward what I would find meaningful, toward my sense of purpose? Mm. Uh, do those two things mesh? If they do, great. And if they don't, it's time to rethink or to reflect at least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do we have an opportunity to restructure our motivations potentially, like tuning into, like let's say I'm more driven by power than I am for affiliation? Um, I think, I, think- uh, I don't know if we can change our motivations, but I th- we might change our channels, how we channel those motivations. So, for example, with power, there's personal power and there's social power. Personal power is it's all about me, mm-hmm. my success, brand me. I'm going to get ahead. Uh, the other power is about your team or your group mm-hmm. or helping everyone get mm-hmm. better. It's a, and so those are both uh, power, but they're channeled very, very differently. Mm. It's almost like you're bringing yourself into service and there's maybe potentially inviting in some element of kindness into that if you're, if you're participating as part of a team. Yeah, that, that, that's a very positive version of it. <laughs> awesome. So in there, um, the next part of the book, like this whole concept on empathy, um, which bleeds into, you know, I, when I really got here, I really started to, my, I light up like a Christmas tree is probably the best way to put it. Um, because then I started looking into some of your other work around empathy and how important empathy really is. Um, mm-hmm. There's different there's different types of empathy. Um, you break it down a little bit further as well than just the, the one word empathy. Um, but in terms of like how important empathy also is for leadership and qualities like that, um, I think means a lot to those that are probably tuning into this. Can you tell us a little bit about empathy? The different kinds of empathy are very important, and they're each based on different parts of brain, mm. uh, different brain circuit. One is cognitive empathy. I understand how you think. Mm-hmm. I get your mental models of the world. Mm-hmm. I know how to talk to you because I know what words to use that you'll understand. Uh, the second is emotional empathy. I know how you feel. Mm-hmm. Pretty much I feel it too. I'm picking up your feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really important kinds of empathy. But I think for a leader, the third kind is the most important. That's what's called empathic concern. I care about you. It's not Mm -hmm. just I know how you think and feel, but I want what's good for you, not just what's good for me. And this that makes you the kind of leader people love to work for, love to follow. Uh, And if you don't have that, you may become um, what others think of as a bad boss, Hmm. a leader who is tuned out, Mm -hmm. who doesn't care, uh, and who doesn't connect with the people they lead. So it's really important. Empathy is critical to leadership. If you Mm -hmm. can't tune to the people you're leading, if you can't listen, uh, 
then you can't communicate effectively mm-hmm. because you don't know how they think, you don't know how they feel, and you don't care. Yeah. And that comes across as very poor leadership. The best leaders know how to talk so people will understand, know what the feelings are in the room mm-hmm. or in the organization, and uh, want to do something about that that will help lead people in the best direction. Yeah. Yeah, the way I, when I tuned into the book, the way I sort of started to realize this, and even as I'm hearing you speak now is, you know, that that third element of empath, em, uh, empathic concern, how important it is, because especially like rooted in our communication, um, if we're not, like we may just continue if we're self-absorbed a little bit and just sort of, you know, not aware and, you know, just sharing kind of what we want to get done and not really meeting the other person where they're at and their receptivity, um, we're just kind of bulldozing through them um, with our agenda and the likelihood of, yeah, at the end of the day, trying to support others and supporting yourself, you know, it's like this receptivity needs to be there. There needs to be this kind of in it for me, in it for you sort of dance and dialogue between all of that, which you kind of just, yeah, like bulldoze right through, right? Yeah. Well, uh, consider this. Uh, you know, when Google looked at their high-performing teams, mm. they found that the main characteristic of those teams was a sense of psychological safety. Mm. I have a friend who studied thousands of teams and found emotional intel- emotionally intelligent teams are high-performing. The one... Uh, element that stood out for her of these high performing teams was that people had a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. I'm welcome. And if I belong, then I can take risks. Then I can say the thing that needs to be said that might be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I can uh, voice the novel, the new idea without uh, feeling it's risky and I'll be shot down. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the sense of belonging can be nurtured by a leader, mm. particularly in how they pay attention to people in the room. Mm-hmm. You, you want to give everyone your full attention because if you don't, if when someone is speaking, you know, you have that side conversation or you look at your phone, it communicates to everyone else in that room that this person, it doesn't belong. This mm. person, it doesn't matter to you, the leader. Mm-hmm. So you, so leaders, I think, need an extra element of self-awareness. Also, here's amazing. <laughs> Research at Yale shows that if a leader is in a really bad mood, I'm angry, I'm anxious, people on that leader's team catch the mood, performance goes down. Mm. If the leader is in a very upbeat, enthusiastic mood, people catch that mood, performance goes up. In other words, the leader is setting the emotional tone mm. for the group. And that determines, that's, that gives the group either a positive level of uh, what they can do or a negative one. Mm-hmm. That is profound, yeah. That emotional contagion is really something to write home about, isn't it? <laughs> well, I, I, it's a leadership tool. Think of it that way. Yeah. So one of the things, um, at, like, okay, so... There's a whole can of worms that opens up for me there, and maybe I'll go there with you. Um, is in the emotional contagion, like let's say um, I'm aware that as a leader, 
how I'm feeling has an impact then subsequently on the emotional ecosystem of the business. Let's just sure. call it that. Um, what happens when I'm having an off day? Like, is it my responsibility then with self-awareness to not project that into others or sort of take the time to come home, come back to center, come good again? Um, what, what about the tough days? What do you do with that? Yeah, I think um, if you can leave it at home, that's the best. Mm. You can be the best boss you can be, mm-hmm. even though you had a bad day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is uh, excellent leadership, I would say. Mm-hmm. Because if you bring, let's say you had a, a run-in with your spouse that morning, Mm-hmm. Or, or your teenager or, or whatever put you in a bad mood. Mm. And if you go to the office in that bad mood and you react from that bad mood, mm. you're communicating exactly the wrong, you're spreading the wrong set of emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it puts a little extra burden on the boss. You're right. Mm. There's a little bit of emotional labor entailed there. What about the, um, thank you for sharing that. What about the, um, the, the dance between emotional contagion because okay let's take it potentially out of the um out of the boss and employee relationship context let's say it's yourself and myself and we're two friends sitting down having a chat and right. you're in a really good place i'm potentially not having a great day let's just say that and like do you run the risk of coming down to my emotional down and up is subjective but let's, i think it makes sense that it's using this language um if do you run the risk of coming down to my emotional level or do I run the risk of going up to your emotional level or is there a homeostasis between the two or people, people are constantly sending and receiving emotions back and forth. Mm. That happens unconsciously automatically uh, uh, because brains link into each other, particularly when you're face to face with someone. However, the person who's more stable in their emotional state generally is the sender, not the receiver. Ah, stability. Yeah. So the question is, say you're you're the one who's really pissed off. You're really angry. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's temporary. Mm-hmm. Maybe the other person that you're with can help you talk it through. Mm-hmm. Get through it. Then that friend has done you a huge favor. Uh, on the other hand, if you um, bring that person into your state of anger, and they say, yeah, that guy is such a, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You haven't really done your friend a favor. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm having a, an aha moment. Okay. <laughs> the, the, uh, the stability piece and how important it is to cultivate emotional intelligence so that potentially we are the more stable one so that if we have yeah. cultivated a positive emotional state and no. sense of self, yeah, please. You were going to say, but that's that's in a relationship where people are kind of on the same level. Mm-hmm. Power differentials matter a lot. Mm-hmm. So if one person is the boss and the other person is the employee, the boss generally is the sender. Mm-hmm. Hopefully for the better, but it could be for the worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's just a friend and you're kind of on the same playing field, then uh, is then stability really matters. Mm. Is there, and this is just a kooky, harebrained question of mine, um, 
Thanks for entertaining me. <laughs> um, is there a, an opportunity anywhere where like you may be the employee, but you may be able to have an emotional influence um, despite the power dynamic? Yeah. You know, if you're really stable, mm. um, you know, say a positive state, mm-hmm. then you can spread that state. I, uh, I, I started uh, the book Emotional Intelligence with a story about a bus driver in New York mm-hmm. who was a guy who made his passengers feel great. He actually had fans. Mm-hmm. People would wait for his bus. Yeah. And that guy was just a bus driver. Mm-hmm. was making everyone he encountered feel good. So ideally, we can use every interaction as an opportunity to make the other person feel better. Mm. Mm. that's a real challenge yeah i think it's but i think it's amazing i think just that piece is is so insightful with the fact the impact that we're having on each other and how for me anyway personally it makes a massive um a massive case for doing the work on emotional intelligence knowing that you know there is almost this energetic field this emotional field that we're interacting with each other with all the time. And we're picking things up, putting things down and having that center, how important it must be to have that stability. Now think about that at the customer interface, Mm. customers and clients, Mm -hmm. how the customer or client feels at the end of an interaction with someone from your organization determines how they're going to feel about your organization. Mm. So you want to spread this ability throughout the organization. It's not just for the, you know, the C-suite. Mm-hmm. It's for everybody, uh, particularly for people who are face-to-face or in an interface with <laughs> people you depend on for your success, your customers and your clients. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing I mentioned, you know, we've, Going back to the conversation around focus, it's like you managed that you said this, the ability to manage your emotions is linked with your ability to pay attention. Now, for those tuning into this conversation at this particular juncture in this conversation, that may make start to make a lot of sense and precipitate to a point. Uh huh. Like I get that. Like having listened to Daniel, it's yeah. Like, okay. If I'm not centered and I'm not stable, then I probably, you know, can't focus. Um, but I remember before I was having this conversation with you and before I tuned into your work, that those two things weren't readily paired in my mind. The fact that my emotional stability had a direct correlation to my focus. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how the two are directly linked? I know well, it's because the circuitry for each, managing upsetting emotions and focusing concentration is largely overlapping in the brain. Mm. It's mostly the same circuits. Think about this. When you're focused on a task, when you're mm-hmm. concentrated, when you're paying full attention and something distracts you, you know what the most likely distractor is? Something inside that's upsetting you. It's not the people talking at the next table in my coffee shop. Mm-hmm. It's that thing that happened to you that makes you so mad mm-hmm. that you're mm-hmm. thinking about. It turns out that the most powerful distractors are our own emotional triggers. Mm. And so if you're emotionally triggered, then you're going to start thinking about that thing. Why didn't he return my email? Mm-hmm. Why did she say that to me? Whatever yeah. it might be. And that is a powerful distractor. So what that says is that your negative emotions are, dis- are 
uh, weakening your concentration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The more emotionally upset you are, the less well you can concentrate. Yeah. Because, because attention fixates on what's upsetting you. Huh. When you're upset. Yeah. How about procrastination? Like, is that something that is also linked to emotions um, and me potentially not wanting to do, like, focus on said task because there's an emotional sort of distraction, would you say? Well, it depends what's behind the procrastination. For example, sometimes procrastination is a way of handicapping yourself to explain not doing so well, Mm. you know, myself enough time. Underlying that is a kind of uh, unconscious fear of failure. Mm. You know, you feel you're not going to be very good at it. So there's, that becomes a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. So you know, mistakes, you procrastinate. Uh, maybe procrastination is due to distraction. Mm-hmm. Like this other thing was so more, much more compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I don't really want to do that thing that I'm procrastinating about. Mm-hmm. So it depends on, on why. Yeah. what the motivation is for the procrastination. Gotcha, gotcha. Cool. With the, um, you mentioned that there was different types of focus. There's inner focus, there's our other focus, and then our outer focus. So I kind of got to understand inner focus, outer focus. Um, but then this other focus, I think, is a really important conversation to have. Could you describe the three different, like, could you describe inner focus for us? Uh, so actually, yeah. Uh, Inner focus is on yourself. Mm-hmm. Other focus is on other people. It's empathy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by it. And the outs, the focus beyond that, what do I call it? There's three things. Outer focus. Inner, outer focus is really understanding the systems you're operating in. For example, an entrepreneur. What's, what technology is, do you depend on and how is it changing? How is it evolving? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the cultural trends that you're dealing with? Uh, what's going on in uh, government policy that is going to help you or hurt you? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is going on in um, the environment? Mm-hmm. I, you know, you've had these, ho- are, you, are you in Australia? Yeah. Horrible wildfires <laughs> from global warming, dryness. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to factor that in because it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. So understanding the systems that constrain you or allow you uh, an opportunity is crucial uh, to, say, entrepreneurial thinking and entrepreneurial success or business success generally. So that's what I mean by the outer focus. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. And so that's the outer focus is the biggest systems in the, in the environment, the ecosystem that we're embedded in. The other focus is focusing on the others that we're in that ecosystem with then in that the key function there being empathy. And then the inner focus is us as the individuated self and the inner awareness that we cultivate um, through that. Got it. Awesome. Perfect. I, I can't help but just revel in this conversation to how simple it feels to realize that actually all I've got, like how it, like the impetus for coming home to my practice of meditation and mindfulness um, 
you know, when it comes to the way you describe the different focuses that we have and attention being a muscle of the mind and just what mindfulness does for us in terms of attention training, you know, when the mind goes wandering, it's like, oh, and having that practice where it goes, oh, yep, and then just come back, you know, and then uh, it's gone off and then just come back. That's on one hand cultivating focus for me in like a literally like a, like a dojo of focus. But then also that's built to building the sense of self-awareness of like, oh, these are the things that my mind then goes wandering towards and that's me off center. And then I have this stable sense of self, which then helps me have better emotional intelligence, which then I can actually, you know, understand empathy a lot better with others and potentially lead others better and then not be debased by other people's emotional states so that I'm actually holding I'm more stable as we've, as we've described, described in this conversation. And then there's, you know, these benefits are uh, like multifolded and, and like multifolded, <laughs> multidimensional, <laughs> um, but yet so, so simply like, I don't want to say, yeah, but simply built upon a practice of mindfulness and, and awareness. Is that the key takeaway um, in terms of the, the conversation you would recommend, like going home for the listener? Um, today, the practice to implement, would you be advising mindfulness? I think mindfulness is terrific for building that self-awareness. But, you know, there's another way in it which it helps you, which may be a surprise to some listeners. Mm-hmm. That is with empathy. The more aware you are and con- in control of your attention, the more present you can be to the person in front of you. Mm-hmm. People pick that up. You know, when your mind starts wandering off, the person that you're with feels that you're not there somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that full sense of I'm really here for you is very much like the sense you cultivate in mindfulness of being present to yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's a very important skill. It's not the only skill of emotional intelligence, but it's, it's an extremely important one. It's foundational, I would say. And it's really accessible. I appreciate what you're saying about it not being the only one, but I find it super accessible. It's like in any moment, you don't need anything. <laughs> you just need yourself to be present too. Um, it's really handy. <laughs> yeah. Um, on that note, diving a little bit into the work in altered traits from there, it's like, because the how often would you say we need to tune into our mindfulness practice? Um, or like, is there a hard and fast? Because in altered traits, you talk about the the deep versus the wide um, yeah. approach. And for those tuning in, potentially that doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe you might want to describe the deep and the wide for them um, before giving the answer. Uh, well, the wide is a reference to how uh, meditation and mindfulness has gone to scale. Mm. Many, many people are doing it. Uh, the deep is it refers to the fact that if you do these practices within the tradition they came from, mm-hmm. you're going to cultivate uh, more, much more strongly things like attention. And you'll have experiences that you would probably never have or very unlikely have doing a few minutes a day at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very best meditation is the one you will do. Mm-hmm. There's a dose-response uh, relationship. The more you do it, the better the effects are. There's no minimum. It depends on your schedule. What can mm-hmm. you manage? Get up a little earlier? Can you, you know, uh, can you, can you do five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day or longer? 
Uh, I, I'm a kind of industrial strength meditator. I like to do a couple of hours a day, but it, you know, I've been doing this for a long time mm -hmm. and I'm not sure how much longer I'll be able to do it. So I'm using what oh, I, I might have. Uh, and so I would say the optimal amount of meditation is whatever fits comfortably in your schedule. Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much for that wholesome response. And is it, I just, just wanted to tune in like all those years ago, you, like this start, like, well, I don't want to say this started, but there was a, there was a point in your journey where you went to India and you met some of these, I think in the book, you called them Olympic <laughs> industrial strength, Olympic grade meditators. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you've been, you've been on this path for quite some time, Daniel, you know, bringing some of this, the, the benefits of the deep, um, I guess, Eastern wisdom around meditation and, you know, how that helps us with focus and empathy and all these things and making it palatable for mm. the Western mind and really the benefits that we can stream from it. I guess just to revel with you in just the, the how widely received and how well received your work has been, um, that must be a really good feeling of good work and the, the sense of reward um, that you feel from that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty, I'm happy about it. Thank you That's very true. much. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, does it give you a lot of, um, I guess, the, the sense of, you know, there's a lot of things in the world at the moment that are in a pretty dire and challenging state, but then there's also some real things to be optimistic and looking forward to. Does it give you hope for the future of where we're headed or is it still the verdict still out? What are your thoughts about the promise for tomorrow? Yeah, I think there are lots of things we can do to adapt to the changing world. Uh, and I, I feel pretty positive about it, actually, mainly because of younger people. Mm. Younger people are really embracing a new set of values mm -hmm. that uh, is going to help them, I think, be agile in handling the very real problems that are becoming their way. Uh, I tend to be optimistic anyway, mm -hmm. but... I feel that, uh, you know, we get a lot of doom and gloom in the news about, for example, the climate, but there are a lot, there's so many ways in which people are working to make that uh, less severe in the future. Uh, I have a friend who's breaking out a book called Regeneration, mm -hmm. which is beyond sustainability. Mm. It means you not only have zero carbon footprint, but you, you lower the overall carbon footprint you know you you add you replenish instead of mm. just doing uh, less bad so it's thinking like that that's going to help us into the future a whole nother level daniel <laughs> i am so humbly grateful for your presence and just your insights thank you so much for answering all my questions and yeah just uh, sharing yourself with such grace and abundance here today really 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 appreciate not just today in this conversation, but the, the volumes of work that you put into this conversation as well. Um, guys, I will link each of the three. There's more books than just the three books I've been referencing, guys. Altered States, um, Focus, and Emotional Intelligence. There are more books than that. There's, um, there's books on leadership. But those three books are just, in many ways, like if you pick them up and you read them, you'll understand why I'm just nerding out on them super hard. Daniel, you've got something to say? Now, this reminds me, if you want to really get into emotional intelligence, uh, maybe you can put in the show notes, building blocks of emotional intelligence, uh -huh. also key step media, 
because I didn't go into it, but in each of the four domains, there are competencies of high performers. Mm -hmm. uh, and th these are the building blocks. So there's a, a primer on each of those, mm -hmm. like goal achievement or uh, teamwork and so on. So uh, yes, that's something you can add. Thank you. But I also, Armit, I want to thank you. I thank you for actually having read <laughs> my works. Uh, not everyone who interviews me has. Mm -hmm. And taking it seriously and helping showcase it. Uh, on your podcast. I, I, I'm deeply grateful to you. Thank you so much. And it's been quite a pleasure talking to you. Oh, thank you so much for your blessings. And uh, hopefully this is the first of many. I look forward to having, hopefully if it's okay with you, having this chat again sometime in the future. <laughs> thank you so okay. much. So long. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of The Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution Tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.